0: Yeah, we have done shows where somebody was, you know, oh, they just pulled out the wood chipper and then we hear
1: this
0: (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Elixir Sips. Elixir Sips is a screencast series that will take you from Elixir Newbie to experienced practitioner. If you're interested in learning Elixir but don't know where to start, then Elixir Sips is perfect for you. In two short screencasts each week, between 5 and 15 minutes, Elixir Sips currently consists of over 16 hours of densely packed videos in more than 100 episodes. And there are more every week. Elixir Sips is brought to you by Josh Adams, expert Rubyist and CTO of a software development consultancy, Isotope 11. Elixir Sips. Learn Elixir with a pro. Find out more at ElixirSips.com. This episode is sponsored by the App Quality Bundle. The ultimate tool set for providing better software. It includes six leading tools for one incredibly low price. It's a full stack set of tools that covers continuous integration, testing, and monitoring for your mobile apps, web apps, and APIs. It's great for new projects and companies. And the offer is $999 for one year of service for all six services. It is available for new paying subscribers only. Go check out the website at buildbetter.software for complete terms and conditions. The offer ends April 15th, so don't wait. This episode is sponsored by Dev Mountain. Dev Mountain is a coding school with the best world-class learning experience you can find. Dev Mountain is a 12-week full-time development course with only 25 spots available each cohort fills quickly. As a student, you will be assigned an individual mentor to help answer questions when you get stuck and make sure you are getting the most out of the class. Tuition includes 24-hour access to campus and free housing for our out-of-state applicants. In only 12 weeks, you'll have your own app in the App Store. Learn to code. It's time. Go to devmountain.com/freelancers. Listeners at The Freelancer Show will get a special $250 off when they use the coupon code FREELANCERS at checkout. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 153 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Reuven Lerner. Hi, everyone. Jonathan Stark. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Robert Williams. Hey. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. I'm Robert Williams.
2: I run a site called Workshop. I basically send, uh, freelancers, uh, potential work opportunities. So like freelance leads to them to their emails. And that's,
0: that's what we're going to be talking about, I guess. Cool. How exactly does it work? Are you a recruiter? Is that more or less how it goes down or are uh, we putting you in a box?
2: <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a recruiter. I, it's basically like a private newsletter that people have to pay to get. So it, basically what I wanted when I was freelancing was a way to kind of like, a, w- a way to find leads because I was having to do it all myself. And so I wanted to, I wanted to basically clone myself and, and not have to do this every day of the process of like either looking for work on job boards or on Twitter or, you know, w- w- however it was that I was having to kind of manually go through a bunch of links or whatever in order to find a list of people that I could email. And so I created this, this private newsletter wh- where I basically do that every day, but instead I get paid f- By multiple freelancers and they, they, instead of having to do it themselves, they just get to email people and they kind of get to do the fun part, which is, you know,
0: contacting new work opportunities and trying to win work instead of having to search for it. Nice. Now I have to say that, that, you know, this has got to be a disreputable site. I mean, you've got testimonials from Kurt Elster and Jason Sweat and this guy named Eric Davis. So (laughs) (laughs) I I am uh, not buying uh, in. There's no way. (laughs) <laughs> Shady people. Definitely. I know. So the idea is that somebody comes along and they're looking for a freelancer to help them with something and they post their project and then I get it in my inbox that day or the next day.
3: Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like uh, help a reporter out in a way.
0: Yeah,
2: I-, I love that service.
0: The other question I have, though, with something like this is, and and then I have a whole bunch of questions about actually how your business runs, but... This question is mostly, if there are a whole bunch of people on this list that do what I do, then am I going to have to fight, you know, with these other folks to prove that I'm the guy?
2: (laughs) I mean, yeah, you could look at it that way. Online death match. (laughs) (laughs) Some people definitely do look at it that way, and they usually don't last very long on the service. And then there's other people who... You know, it's, it it is a bit of a numbers game, but that's just how it is usually with like lead type of services. Like this isn't the first lead generation newsletter out there, I'm sure. But the people who really just like look at it as like a, like sort of a long-term game of, of not just winning work, but contacting people and, and offering to help them and, you know, help their business grow and stuff. Those are the people that usually come in and say like, Hey, Robert, oh my God, I just, I just landed a hundred thousand dollar project, you know? And so, I mean, it kind of depends, like, however you want to look at it. I'm sure hacker news or whatever the, the comments on there would be like, this is totally, you know, freaking worthless. All these people are getting my leads and, you know, everything like that. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't like, uh, defending that too much because yeah, you can look at it that way.
0: So how is it different from a job board? I mean, other than the fact that it's coming to my inbox instead of me going and looking around.
2: Yeah. I looked at job boards when I was coming up with the idea for it. And I don't know, to me, job boards, you have to kind of go to them and you have to constantly be checking them or you can put them into like an RSS reader and go through them all at once. But it still kind of takes some time to filter out like what's a full-time job, which ones are only looking for people in Los Angeles. And you know, if you're not in Los Angeles, that doesn't apply to you. So the difference is all of these are freelance jobs They're all project-based type of work. They're all uh, remote. And then the other thing, too, is I try to eliminate any of the ones that look kind of shady or that look kind of like low-quality budget type of stuff, like, you know, Elance and ODesk type of stuff.
3: Cool. What's your background before this? So it sounds like you've got some background that would allow you to sniff out people who look sketchy.
2: Yeah, I I was a freelancer for a while. I was a freelance uh, web designer. And I mean, I went to art school, I studied graphic design. When I graduated, I wanted to work at an agency. Once I worked at an agency, I realized that wasn't really my dream job after all. And so that's when I started freelancing and and kind of really what I did was I built a consultancy like using leads I found online as opposed to I didn't have any referrals. I didn't have any past clients that could refer me work. So what I ended up having to do was uh look for work myself and kind of build it from scratch. And it's funny, like everywhere I looked online, Hacker News, for example, everybody, all they say is like, the only way to land work is is to get referrals or to get um people giving you work and to have this network of people. And I don't know, I just didn't really think that was true. I knew that you had to start somewhere. And so I, that's what I basically did, which was outreach and kind of cold email people.
1: And so the idea is in workshop, I guess, that instead of me looking online everywhere and cold emailing people, that I'm going to cold email people who have gone through some sort of vetting process so there's a greater chance of success.
2: Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: kind of reminds me of, uh, in another way of the Peter Cooper emails. I subscribe to a few of those, like JavaScript Weekly and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Like I, A lot of those links that show up in those emails have come up in my feed reader, but when they come in, through the email, that's when I read them because to me, like he does a good job or whoever's curating, they have different people on different ones, but whoever's curating it, like I trust them to not waste my time with dumb links. So it kind of sounds similar. Of course, there's the, you know, financial aspect on the other side. So,
2: yeah. And the one thing about like job boards or like these apps where it's like referral based, I don't know, there's, there's been a couple, there's like crew or like juicy I've seen come up. To me, those those always seem like they were like trying to get in between me and the client or like at least they're like trying to get me to use their app. And so that goal that I, I, I've like felt was happening in there was not really aligned with like me. Like I don't want anything between me and the clients I'm working with. I don't want, you know, there to be this ulterior motive of like, I don't know, you know, w- whether it's a referral, but, you know, whatever it is, the, the percentage of uh, referral fee or whatever. And so that's why I kind of made it this way where it's, yeah, it's it's kind of like you have to kind of do it yourself and you can't, you know, I'm not going to find, I'm finding work for you, but I, but you're going to have to land it yourself and compete against whoever it is you're competing against um, because I don't want to be in between you and the client. You know, I don't want, I'm trying to take myself out of it. And so you don't use my app to email people or to contact them. You're just emailing them, you know? In in your own inbox, and it's it's all on your turf, you know.
3: Yeah, it makes it easier as uh, someone as someone who's looking for leads or as the freelancer, it makes it extremely uncomplicated in terms of like a a buying decision. You just be like, oh, you know, like I see on the site it's got a a two week trial, so I just try it out and be like, oh, these are actually good gigs. I should be applying to these, and kind of makes it a no brainer. I don't know how much it costs, but it makes it a no brainer. You know, if the price is right, to just say, yeah, I'm going to keep getting this.
0: So I guess the the other question is, is how do you get people to come and sign up for this saying, I need a freelancer, you know, I need a WordPress guy, or I need a Ruby on Rails guy, or I need a Jonathan Stark guy? You know, (laughs) how do you, you how are they finding you? So we've had probably
2: over 60 or 70 uh, of these like exclusive or like premium type of leads come in. And to be honest, they've come in kind of organically. I would say a good percentage of it is actually freelancers and development shops inside of workshop that they need somebody quickly or they have a client comes in that they can't handle. And so they kind of refer it. And I guess the, the reason they they go to workshop is because they trust, you know, they know that the people who are signed up for workshop, there's a community aspect behind it. But besides that, they know that the people who are signed up in workshop are, are kind of have a skin in the game, so to speak, like they they're paying for these leads as opposed to if you post on a job board, you're going to see so much spam come into your inbox that at least they know that there's not going to be that spam element and that these people in signed up to the service are going to be kind of specialized and kind of serious about about what they're doing. And so that's been, I think, a key way that we've gotten some of those leads come in. And then the other things, too, is I've you know, I have some content marketing I do that pushes people in that direction post a lead on onto workshop, yeah. And so, like, there's a new thing I just I just made called uh, Wheelhouse. It's in wheelhouse.com, and it's basically like a, a little directory for productized services. And we've gotten a few leads come in through there. Once they look at all the freelancers who do productized services, and if there's not one that specifically matches their project, then there's also like an optional little form that they can fill out, and it'll send it just to workshop. And so little things like that, I think, have kind of added up. Sometimes I'll even contact the leads I send out and tell them, hey, you know, instead of this job board, maybe you'd want to post it on workshop or whatever. I think that's basically the entire gamut of of how people come in in terms of clients to post exclusively to the list.
0: So the other question I have is how much information do you have about the projects that get landed? You said that you're not really involved in that process, but do you have some idea of which projects kind of get competed over more and what the winning um, bids actually look like i'd say like you said that yeah i don't have complete
2: access to all of that because i do want to keep it i don't i don't necessarily want that i don't want to have to track everything but um the main way has been people reaching out to me after using the service and telling me you know i've i've had multiple people say hey i've won hundreds of thousands of dollars from your leads in the first couple months of signing up um actually i just did a call with a guy named tyler he has like a really interesting story, actually. He started out as a farmer in the Midwest and he loved photography. He was, he was like really into photography. That was like his side gig. And so he taught himself to code in order to m- build a website where he could, um, sell his photographs. Like he, he just like dived into like Stripe and stuff. Cause he figured if he used Shopify or whatever. It would cost too much because he had so many photographs. And then once he taught himself to code, he was like, well, you know, I could be a coder. Like I could I could be a freelancer. So he signs up for Workshop. And actually the first month he's in it, he lands a $60,000 client right off the bat. And so he's like this ridiculous guy. And then the, the next month, to top it off, do you guys know Josh Pickford from Bear Metrics? Yeah. He posted into Workshop looking for a guy and... This guy, Tyler, he ends up landing that gig too. And it evolves into like a full-time job. So he, he, he landed this full-time remote gig working by, for, for himself, you know, with, with bare metrics. And then to top that off, he still had these, these freelance clients that he was landing. He said out of the like six people he emailed, four of them became his clients. And so he needed, he needed to find a way to service them. So he built this like little team he, he outsources all his work to. So now he's working full time for bare metrics and he just kind of oversees on the side, basically a, a little agency that he has going. And so, so I, I love doing calls like that with people and they're usually pretty happy to do it too. So I think it's kind of a win-win. I've, I've talked to Eric Davis a couple of times about how he's using it. And so it's kind of like, I don't have exact numbers all the time, but I think listening to kind of the, the stories is a little more powerful anyway. So. I mean, it's not a huge list. It's, it's kind of a tiny list anyway. So.
1: I mean, I'll tell you, I, I subscribed to a workshop, I guess, starting about a month ago. I'm still on it. And quite honestly, I started getting it, uh, in no small part because I really, uh, was interested in Robert's book. Like I was on his mailing list. I think the content marketing, by the way, that you do is fantastic. And I think Thanks. people who are interested in doing any sort of work or emailing people, if you're interested in emailing people, you should really read the content, which applies to a lot of people. I'm not convinced the Workshop is right for me, but I don't think it has anything to do with you. I think the combination of me being not a front-end designer or developer and not being in the U.S. sort of takes away, like, two strikes from that. But if I were a front-end developer in the U.S., it would be a no-brainer. And I really do like the fact that you weed through things and present it well and present information. That's been very nice and very impressive and definitely, definitely better than, you know, searching, skimming through online boards and so on and so forth, which I think sure. everyone has done at some
0: point. Well, that's what I did when I got started. One thing that I'm looking at, though, is it looks like it's uh, about $500. I'm assuming that's for, what, the year? Yeah. So it's not an impulse buy.
2: <laughs> right. I've, I'm have i kind of testing out that, that pricing, um, the yearly only option. And so, yeah, I'm still kind of deciding whether that I'm going to keep that it's a, it's kind of fluctuated I started at I think 39 bucks a month then I went up to like 64 and now I'm trying the yearly uh only option and so um I might bring it back I might bring it back at a higher price than 64 a month but the monthly pricing I think is, it might be an option down the road why
3: did you make that decision
2: I looked at at the people who were signing up and I think the people who used the service the best kind of looked at it as a as a long term thing. The people who signed up and said, "I'm gonna," I, I just want to see if I can land work in the first month off of it. Usually, would ask me for a refund or or would cancel right away or whatever. And so, when I added the when I made it yearly only, I also added that that two week trial. So people who do want to try it out can go ahead and and try it out. Um, and once the two weeks are up, they can kind of see you know is is this enough. Value here for me for uh, for a full year, and then that way it kind of once you're in it for a year, you can kind of settle down a little bit and um email people more consistently and 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 not try to do like oh my my first month's running out, I have to email a hundred people this month, this week, you know
3: oh right, yeah, that makes sense
2: yeah but I, I i it might not be right for the service a yearly only option might not be the correct thing, so I might go back i don't know
3: yeah i mean it occurs to me that I mean, I haven't done what anybody would call freelancing in a long time. Like I, I work myself on retainer, right. and that sort of thing, but it's not really, uh, I don't really do software projects anymore. But thinking back to it, it's kind of like, I would think that after, assuming the service is working, it's almost like you wouldn't need it after you're one way or the other. Either it's not working or it is working. And if it is working, wouldn't a lot of those clients turn into like longer term yeah. clients?
2: Yeah. I, I Yeah, definitely. Like Kurt Elster, he kind of did that. He kind of outgrew the service. He started up the Shopify thing. And so while he was on it, I think he was on it for like a year. He was landing work and he was using kind of uh, the newsletter to refer work to other people. He would email people and say, hey, I saw this lead. I don't know if he would say it was from Workshop, but he would say, I saw this lead that looks perfect for you. Then p- those people who he would his, who were who were his friends would reciprocate and email him back and he he found he was actually one of the smartest people to use workshop. He found like a ton of other ways to like create value for, from it. But um once he he kind of built his productized service and focused in on Shopify, that was kind of it for him for workshop and he moved on to that and focusing really in on that. So to me that's a success story. It's not really a,
0: a knock on it. So I think it brings up an interesting point, And that is, how do I know if you have my brand of work in there? Right. Sure. Am I going to get enough of my kind of leads out of it? Sure. Yeah. For freelancers,
2: it's funny because we kind of look at it as freelancers. We kind of look at other companies and like we just because another business we see needs like hundreds or thousands of customers, we kind of think we do too. Or, or at least like in our marketing, we kind of look at it that way. When in reality, I think individual consultants and freelancers, you only really need like a handful of clients. You, you don't really need hundreds of people. Like if you can find 10 or 20 high quality clients that love working with you and keep giving you work, that's all you really need. Um, unless you're like looking to expand and do more. So for me, when I was freelancing, like if I could get one person per day, if I could email one person every day, that was like a high quality prospect that I wanted to work with, that would result in like thousands of dollars worth of work if it ended up working out. You know, that to me added up to 20, 30 people a month that I wouldn't have talked to otherwise. And so the value I don't think is in terms of the quantity. I think it's in terms of contact, having this constant kind of flow of people. That's what Kurt kind of really loved about the service. He told me, he said, now I have this automated sales funnel that I can just kind of chip away at every day and just, you know, if I open it up in my inbox every morning and just kind of go through it and contact the leads I want to and delete the email or whatever once I'm done. So I I definitely think the best way to answer that question is to do it yourself.
0: Right. So do the two week trial and see if there's enough there for you to continue with it. How many jobs are
3: there in a typical email?
2: There's
0: usually a 10.
3: And how do you find out when, since you're not in the middle of it, which I think is good, how do you find out when the job's no longer, like when it's no longer available, like somebody landed it?
2: Well, I send out the leads every day, and that usually means they're like the leads from the day before. So usually if somebody posts on a job board, the first few days they're going to get a bunch of spam. And so it's kind of hard to pick somebody in the first few days just because there's so many people. So you're only seeing really the, the last day's worth of work that's out there. Oh, so, so. You, so like
3: you don't keep on sending ones that – so like right. I, I, if I posted a job in there, it would just go out once.
2: Right. If, yeah, if it, if it was from a job board, if it was one from workshop, like people who post to workshop, those I just changed to staying in there for a few days just to kind of get more people. Cause that's the interesting thing. Like I've, I'd have these projects come in and I'd follow up with them and say, Hey, did you find somebody in workshop? And they're like, Oh, yeah, we didn't get very many replies. And it's like, we have 200 people on the list and I would email the list and be like, Hey, why don't you, why don't you guys reply to this lead? And they'd be like, Oh, we thought it was going to be you know, inundated with emails. And so it's like, oh, God. Yeah, I remember, I remember you sent
1: out an email at some point telling people this, like, do not think that there will be a lot of people. Please, <laughs> if you think it's appropriate, send it out. Well, I guess yeah. that's the backstory to that, es- that message.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the prettiest girl in school not getting asked to the prom, right?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> she probably already has a date. Well, I
3: mean, I I think
1: what what I find interesting also is, you know, you're not getting paid a percentage. You're not in the middle. Your goal is to find enough leads for people that will satisfy them, that they'll stick with the product. And then when time comes to renew, they will renew. And so your incentive is make people happy, give them lots of leads, and give them lots of useful leads. Right. Have you changed direction, thought about changing direction, thought about expanding, contracting, or refocusing based on feedback?
2: There's a couple of things I want to work on. I definitely, I think the number one thing is always improving the quality of, of the leads. I want to send out higher budget projects. I want to send out budget projects that'll be interesting to not just freelancers, but to uh, shops that have a full team behind them. And that just means, you know, finding opportunities where the budgets are like, instead of maybe 10 to 15,000, uh, maybe 50 to a hundred thousand. And I think that's, I don't know. That's, that's like the long term goal, I think, whether it's like tapping into RFPs that aren't shown everywhere or, you know, however that that I go about doing that. And then the other thing is, yeah, like you were saying, um, if you're a mobile person or if you're a Rails guy, you, you know, you don't necessarily want to see leads of of other types. So adding some more customizability or whatever to the leads so that you can kind of maybe even sending just one lead that's really perfect for you every every day. And then if you want to see more leads, you know, asking for them, that's kind of been like my focus in the past year since I started workshop is how can I get like we were just talking about the prettiest girl doesn't get asked to the prom. How can I get these freelancers to make it easier for them to reply to this work? Yeah, I was just
3: you just read my mind. I was thinking that it would be cool if I could almost like click on one of the jobs and then that would send the information to you that I wanted to put my hat in the ring and then you just did it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And having a list of one person to contact, I think that might be good. But, uh, the other things I've done is, which is like, I've added like a checklist for emailing people that'll really help get a response. So like you get your list of 10 leads and then underneath the leads is like, are you having trouble emailing these people? Like here's five things you should look for once you finish writing your email to kind of make sure you get the maximum response. So yeah, it, looks like
3: you, it looks like you wrote a book on that.
2: Yeah. So I kind of extracted parts of the book that are still kind of general enough that it'll apply to any person sending an email. But they're just kind of quick things you can look for once you're uh, writing the email or have it written already. So I read the book and I loved it. And, and I'll also
1: tell people that Robert was cool. extremely nice. Like he says, if you're having problems, or you know, send, send me a sample email message and I'll give you feedback. And he gave me great, great feedback. Or that is, say, withering criticism feedback, which was very useful. <laughs> and I'm sort of curious. Like, I understand the point of the book, and I understand the benefit, but how and when did it occur to you that people were not getting work because of the email they were sending and that they could improve it? Like, since you're yeah. not in the middle.
2: Well, even though I'm, I try to remove myself from the exchange, like, I'm still in it somehow. Like, I'm I'm the one sending these people the leads to contact So what I basically did was like when people would say, hey, I'm not landing any work, I would be like, okay, why don't you attach me to these emails you're sending out? Like you can BCC me so the client won't know. And that way I can kind of give you tips or whatever. I can see what might be the problem here. So I had like, I ended up having like hundreds of people doing this for me. And it was funny because I was just getting like inundated by these like emails. And it turned out that 80 90% 90% of them were really badly written and really, and from those like thousands of emails I was getting that were just, like when you reply to, when you post to a job board, you get like the people from India saying whatever, like dear sir, madam. Like these are the type of, type of emails like people were sending in expecting to find work. And like once you see it over and over again, like it's so easy to just kind of extract the common threads there. Like people, they would start out their email and say like, hi, I'm a, I have this agency. We do this sort of work kind of like a, on a resume, like here are my skills. Like here's a list of like bullet points. I do PHP, I do WordPress, whatever. And then, end their emails would like, let me know if this works for you. That, that was like the, co- the most common thing in the email was let me know if uh, there's a fit here. And so I would be like, oh my God, like as a client, you get this email, you have no idea what to do. Like, how am I supposed to know what any of this even means? And how am I supposed, like, it's kind of like a brain dump that just gets thrown at you. And then you have to do the work of, like, sorting through all of it, deciding what, if there's a fit and how to get back to them. And that's basically where the book kind of came from, which was looking at these emails and saying, OK, stop that and now <laughs> yeah. start doing this instead. And so
3: that's really cool. That's a, it gives you such a unique view into the, the sort of industry of freelancing. It's bizarre. a Fly on the wall position <laughs> to be in.
2: Totally, They're,
3: I'm doing a. Right. I, I, I actually pay for um, a service that's similar to Harrow. I help a reporter out, but it's uh, a paid version. It's the same same sort of thing where the person who runs it. It's it's called uh, PR Leads, and the guy that runs it's named Dan Nall. and you can BCC him, and he will review you know your pitch back to the reporter and and give you tips, and it's. uh You know, you do it once or twice and you're like, all right, I got this down. Uh, It's super, super helpful.
1: Totally. I mean, I'll I'll admit like the, you know, for years I've been sending email to people on a variety of levels from a variety of perspectives and I would always be very chatty and, you know, here's who I am and here's what I'm doing and I assume they want to know all I'm interested in. And quite frankly, the moment that I read Robert's book, I said, oh my God, it's so obvious now. (laughs) <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. His his point is basically, these people are busy. These people are inundated by email. They're not interested in hearing your biography and they're not interested in hearing how amazing you are. They're interested in finding out, can you solve my problem? Right. It comes back to that. And this is what we talk about all the time on the podcast and freelancing in general and work in general. Mm-hmm. People could not care less about the technology. They care. Can you solve their problems? Totally. Sure.
2: Yeah. And but- I sent that email to like, the email I was talking about where it's like, let me know. I, I sent that when I was freelancing all the time. And so it's, it's not something you learn in school or, you know, how to write a good email. So uh, but the but thing is I it do.
1: works like it, it works enough of a percentage of the time that you sort of figure, Oh, this is good. Exactly. Um, and, and it's that sort of cranking up your almost conversion optimization of the email that you can get out of being much more specific and direct.
2: Yeah, definitely. That was the other part of that story that I, I I didn't get into was that once I had thousands of people or thousands of emails coming at me and I started working with them individually and, and helping them send better ones, like it was like night and day. They started seeing the results immediately. Like people would send off an email and 30 minutes later, they'd get a reply saying, Hey, yeah, send me some, some ideas for, you know, from a client. And once that started happening, I realized like, I'm just repeating myself to like hundreds of freelancers and it's helping them. Like, why don't I extract what I wrote wrote in in all these different emails and, you know, compile it in one place and sell that. And so that's, that's the book.
3: Wow. And how, when, when did this all happen? When did you start doing all this?
2: That's been the past year and a half.
3: Cool. How long did it take you to put the book together?
2: The book took me, I mean, I, I worked on it like, a couple weekends to get like the initial rough draft out and then a couple more weekends to type it up. So altogether probably on and off about a month. Cool. Nice. Uh, it's really short. So that's, that's one thing.
3: Yeah. These days I'm kind of liking that in my books. <laughs> so I want them to get right to the point.
2: And in my emails, that's what I like to see too. So yeah. <laughs> what are some of the, the sort of top
1: tips you can give people? regarding uh sending email to potential clients.
2: Well, like we said, like a short email is always going to get read more often than a long email. That'll save you time also. I think delivering something of value in the email is good because, you know, you want to show the client you're like on their side and you're not it's not all about just landing the work. And when I say deliver something of value, like it could be something as simple as if the client is uh, you know, they have a WordPress uh, a podcasting site on a WordPress, emailing them and telling them to, to check out this cool plugin that might help them with whatever, you know, that you notice they're not using because they have their, all their shit formatted a certain way or whatever. Stuff like that will, it, it'll make somebody reply to you because they're thankful f- for that. Or at least they know that it's not a, like a, those scripted emails that you get and you like, okay, this, this is full of shit. Like I'm just going to delete this right off the bat because obviously he sent this to 50,000 people. Delivering something like that is always good because it's clear. It's not, it's, it's not spam. Another thing is ending your email instead of back to the, like the, let me know thing. Instead of doing that, ending your email with like a next step. So for example, instead of saying, let me know if there's a fit, you can say, if you think something like this might work out, I can send over some ideas, you know, that way, People can, can reply to your email in a few seconds instead of, you know, having to conjure up this big reply. They can just say, yeah, send those over or whatever.
3: Yeah. I learned a, a great tip from Kai Davis at that point in the email where he's kind of like, he'll say, just reply with a thumbs up or yes if you want me to send more information. So it gives the person the permission to type what otherwise would come across as a rude email by just hitting totally. reply and typing the word yes and hitting send. And that, like he's, I've been on the receiving end of some of those from him and it's amazing the feeling you get. You're like, yeah, I totally want to do that. And you just reply, <laughs> yes, send. It takes like one second. It's awesome.
2: Totally. The other thing too is, is getting like a reply should be your only goal in the email. Like you're not like Chuck was saying he used to like, oh yeah, people are going to be interested in like what I'm interested in and, and my agency and stuff like that. And like all my, all the little details of stuff like That stuff, you're you're trying to win over a client in that situation. And that shouldn't be the goal. The the goal should be getting the person to reply. So focusing in on that, I think, is interesting. And I think if you don't talk about subject lines, I think this this is a good one to stop at maybe. Because I think it doesn't matter what you write in an email if it doesn't get opened. And so the first thing you should kind of optimize is the subject line. And the way I've kind of developed it is that the subject line should, should be sp- so specific that it could only be sent to one person, like in the world. Like, if you get an email that says freelancer as the subject, you're like, oh shit, who's, what's this spammy guy emailing me, you know? And that could be sent to anybody in the world. So if, if I got an email instead saying, Hey, Robert, can I help you find leads for workshop or whatever? That is something I'm, you know, nine out of ten times going to open. <laughs> Because as a busy person, we we look to, like, remove spam and get that shit out of the way as quickly as possible. So establishing that you're not spam, I think, is always, uh, in a cold email, going to be important.
1: And I I assume you've heard from people in workshop who have applied your techniques and they're having greater success?
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. There's one one girl in particular, Stephanie Jadoti. I like her her story because she was having trouble. She wasn't hearing back from anybody she would contact. We worked on her emails a little bit. I gave her the, like the same tips I'm basically sharing with you. And the email, the next email she wrote, she ended up she found a lead on workshop that she liked. She did a little bit of like background recon, figured out that this person had actually written a book. And so she didn't stop there. She didn't like email the guy and say, "Hey, you wrote a book." Instead, she actually like bought the book and then read it decided, okay, I like this certain part, about it was, I think the book was about design. So she was like, oh, this part really resonates with my design skills or whatever. And he's looking for a designer. So in her email, she, instead of writing, oh, I'm a freelance designer, you know, hit me up. She wrote, Hey, I was reading your book. This certain passage really resonated with me. And then she quoted that passage and, um, you're looking for a branding designer, you know, started from there from, instead of starting from, hey, I'm a branding designer, you're looking for a branding designer. And she ended up hearing back 30 minutes later and ended up working with this client. And it kind of ties back to like what we were saying about freelancers not needing hundreds of clients like you can afford to spend 10 minutes or in her case, she I think she spent like 30 minutes reading through this book kind of quickly and taking notes and stuff. If it's going to mean, you know, a $50,000 project at the end. So Yeah. That, I think that that's, that's one of my, my favorite examples of it.
1: Yeah, I think that point about you only need a limited number of clients is an important one that's lost on people a lot. Because if you're, if you're freelancing or if you're doing any job, right, time is finite. And sure. so basically, if you're going to have, let's say, a client a week, if you're doing weekly billing, or there's only so many projects you would do a month. And yeah, I think it's lost on a lot of people, though.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Second that. It's like if you, once you, you know, like Rob started off saying, you know, it's a chicken or egg problem at first because you don't have any referrals. But once you start getting gigs, you should be asking for referrals, especially from your most happy customers. And also, I think everybody knows that it's way easier to sell to existing customers than it is to constantly be looking for new ones. So uh, Yeah. So as as easy as Workshop makes it, once you have those customers, you should be you know, I, I coach people on this all the time. Like people are super uncomfortable about asking for referrals and asking for more work, but it's really not hard. And I've never had a client react badly to the question. It's just something people get really, they, I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I think it is actually, but just like, geez, you know, aren't they going to be afraid that, you know, I'm going to go work with this other client instead of that or whatever. But clients are, if they're happy with your work, they're going to want to help out their friends by putting them in touch with you that you know like makes people feel good so you might as well ask
2: yeah i think they want to make you happy too since you're doing this service for them that's providing them value you know they want to help you out you know yeah absolutely right i think i think most guys it's it's rare i think there was one company that i
1: talked to where they understood i was a consultant you know freelancer and everything and i was going to do some software development for them and i said well how about we do this like two days a week, three days a week so I can work with other people? And the guy said, listen, I'm totally okay with you working here only two or three days a week. If you're spending other time, I don't know, finishing your PhD, but I'm not okay. If you're here two or three days a week and the other days you're with another client. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. That's that's not exactly the way it works. You, you don't, I, you don't get to dictate that. So yeah. <laughs> but I think most clients realize that you are going to be working with other people and that doesn't take away from your value. On the contrary, it means you will be around in business and your skills will be sharpened even more and have more ideas for when they come back to you and need more work.
0: Yeah, I only have an exclusivity deal with my wife, so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh. Yeah, there was there was a question I saw the other day on, on Reddit that I answered. And he was basically saying like, you know, my contract mentions six pictures, whatever that means. What if down the road I want to uh, add more pictures to that what would uh, be the cost of doing something like that this is the client speaking to the freelancer and what would be the cost for exchanging a picture or two and for me like what that, that that this kind of ties into like them needing you down the road and them you know wanting access to you and to me like that these situations kind of create like upsell opportunities like you were saying Jonathan um of either retainer situations or Situations where, yeah, where you can kind of say, okay, well, in that case, I'd suggest, you know, past clients have done, you know, small retainers in this situation. If you want, you know, four hours of my time every month reserved just for you, um, we should set something up where you're paying maybe half my hourly rate or whatever it is in order to lock those in. I like, I'd still be able to do any small updates you need. If you don't want to do this, go this route, but. Since I am working with other companies and I do, uh, I can sometimes, you know, I can't, I'm sometimes booked weeks in advance. Updates wouldn't get done as quickly in that situation. So I, that's why I'm recommending you do a small retainer or something. So I'm sure like you were saying, Chuck, like some clients might want to have you locked down, but like they would have to pay for that, right?
0: Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at.
3: Yeah. That's the way I do it too. So like for really big clients. I will sign a non-compete if it's going to be like an annual, like I've had a few annual retainers or retainers that were um, quarterly that have gone on for years that, you know, I'm happy to sign a non-compete for a client like that because I can only do like two of them at a time anyway, you know? So, and that was actually part of my selling point when I would ever, when I would in the sales process for a, a big gig like that, I would say you're basically going to get me a hundred percent of the time Or you're either going to be my one big client or one of two big clients. So you're going to get tons of attention from me and I'm not going to have more than two clients and I'm not going to have two clients in the same industry. So you don't have to worry about crosstalk basically. So like if I was working on for two different cruise lines or something like that and, uh, you know, and, and if they, then almost always they're going to turn around and say, okay, that's great. That's cool. We still want you to sign a a non-compete and I, you know, generally happy to do that for a big client like that, as long as there's going to be a commitment. Not sure that came up. Oh, charging for it. Yeah. It's, it's like Chuck said, if you're going to, if you're going to do something like that, make sure you're getting paid a premium because you know, it severely limits your salability.
1: And, and I assume Jonathan, when you, when you give them such exclusivity, it's limited in time or limited by domain, right? Like, yeah, it, it, it might be cruise ships, but not all things in the transportation industry.
3: Yeah. It's like, so a, a specific example would be like, um, professional photography uh client on a cruise ship or that's one that actually came up which is why it's on my mind because I got a lead from another huge cruise ship doing a photography project and I was like nope can't do it so that's the wow there, there are that many people doing photography on cruise ships I had no idea <laughs> it's a big industry but I could have I think it would have been okay I wouldn't have done it but I think I would have been within my legal rights not that I would ever bring that up with a client but I think it would have been within the terms of the contract for me to go work at like with the photo team at at Disney in a park because that's not on the, you know, on the Mm -hmm. cruise ship. And there are a bunch of very specific constraints on the cruise ship that exist nowhere else, like that there's no internet, for example. So there are all sorts of things that are specific to that. So I, although I could probably have gone to work at Disney and do a very similar type of thing for their photo team, I wouldn't have done it because the appear, the appearance of impropriety I know would have annoyed them like crazy. So I, I just, you know, you just steer clear of that. It's not hard, especially, you know, when you only need two clients.
1: So I'm curious, Robert, are you, are you now full-time or almost full-time working on workshop or are you still freelancing yourself? And I wonder if, if you're still doing it yourself i assume that gives you some perspective still into how this world works
2: no i'm not i'm not freelancing <laughs> basically since i started workshop i i haven't been freelancing and so i i think that wouldn't have be possible really like to me to solely focus on this thing if it wasn't you know providing enough value to people to allow me to do that so uh,
1: that's fair that's
0: fair
2: i think i i think i came off sounding far too accusatory in my question
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right well, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Jonathan, do you want to start us off?
3: Sure. I've got two this week. The first one is simplecast.fm, which is, a, as it says on the tin, an extremely simple uh, website for setting up and hosting a podcast. And as people may know, I, I co-host another podcast called The Niche Podcast, which until recently was about building apps that run everywhere. Um, and we're rebooting the theme now that people have kind of we've kind of beat that that the horse until it was dead, we're switching it over to how technology is changing the way we interact with the world. And in that shift, I was like, you know, I would really like to not have to grep through S3 logs to find out how many downloads we got. Uh, so the Simplecast.fm I, uh, was recommended to me, and I had the podcast set up. I'm gonna. I don't want to exaggerate, so let's just say it took me less than 15 minutes to have an almost identical site to the existing site set up rocking and rolling feeds all perfect, you know, analytics ready to go. It was like extreme and it's extremely affordable. I was just like, it almost made me sick to think of all the time I spent hand coding stuff on the other site. So symbolcast.fm, if if people are looking to host a podcast, I would definitely recommend checking that out. The other thing is, and I don't think it's an uh, April Fool's joke, tomorrow's April Fool's as we record this, but Amazon announced the dash button anybody else see this
1: oh, yeah, yeah i th- I, th- I thought it was actually very clever
3: it's it's a button that you configure you know it's a it's a physical button that you put in your house that you configure with your smartphone to one click purchase one item so you get a bunch of them and like one of them is like for Tide dish detergent and other ones for bounty paper towels and another ones for Mac coffee pods that go in your cure yeah and then so when you're when you're about to run out, you just press the button and it's in your shopping cart ordered and getting packed probably within fifteen minutes. So right, I was like
1: if you're doing laundry and you run out of laundry detergent, you don't have to remember to go now. I mean, of course, this is yet another technology that's just forcing us to have no memories, but I thought it was very uh very insightful about how people work and very clever.
3: I prefer to look at it as enabling us to focus on more important things. <laughs> more yeah, important just,
0: than that you're out of toilet paper?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you just press the button and boom that
0: was easy oh sorry yeah. wrong company
3: the internet of buying things <laughs> nice Ruben, <laughs> do you have some picks for us
1: yeah I've just got uh, one pick um, for this week so I think I mentioned in the past I listened to the ask me another podcast which is this you know game show on NPR and I think in the last week or two they had a guest and they said oh and it's the people from uh, welcome to Night Vale. Night Vale being this podcast, and I was like, "Huh, I've never heard of this before. It must be this really niche thing." Yes, niche in terms of apparently the most popular downloaded podcast each week. Sorry, Chuck, it's it's not ours. So <laughs> it's not. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're, we're we're close. We're we're in the first few thousand, I'm sure. Anyway, so I actually went and downloaded this uh, Night Vale podcast, and I've really been enjoying it a lot. The way they describe it is that it's a cross between a prairie home companion and Stephen King. <laughs> and it's like a sort of a community radio broadcast where all sorts of monsters, aliens, all sorts of things happen. But he says it in this very slow, low voice, as if it's the most normal thing in the world for the football star to have two heads and so on and so forth. And it's kind of slow to take off, but I'm now, I think, number eight or nine. And you can hear the self-references. It's it's definitely, definitely amusing. I'd say worth trying if you uh, have some time to listen to podcasts other other than ours, of course.
0: Anyway, so that's it for this week. Very cool. I've got a couple of picks. The first one is a book by Brandon Sanderson. It is called uh, Steelheart. Been enjoying that. I also just want to throw out there we've been putting together t-shirt campaigns on Teespring for the other shows, uh, Ruby Rogues, JavaScript Jabber, and... Adventures in Angular. I'm not sure how many people want a Freelancer Show shirt, so if you want one, let me know. Also, I'm going to be at MicroConf uh, next week, so if you are going to be there, then by all means let me know so that we can meet up. Yeah, uh, I'll be there. We we should uh, talk. Awesome. Do you have some picks for us, Rob? Yeah. Have
2: you guys heard of this tiny little app? It's called Paparazzi. It's for like s- website screenshots and... Like, I don't know. Have you ever seen like Ramit Sethi or like Brennan Dunn? They have these, like these extremely long sales pages. Yeah. Um, you can't,
3: you can't screenshot yeah.
2: it. Yeah. You can't take a screenshot. I'm always like, God damn it. Like, I want to, you know, oh. have to like paste screenshots together. Well, this thing you just put in the URL and it'll take a big old screenshot of it. Super long one. And it's like a little tiny app. I think it's free and it's really cool. I think, yeah. Anyways. The second thing, I think this one's probably more related to freelancing. You guys know Julie, Kurt Elster's wife? Yep. Mm,
1: I don't know her. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah.
2: She has a service. I, the other day I was like looking on Reddit, our freelance, and I was noticing all these threads by freelancers like, oh, my God, I haven't gotten paid. Um, What should I do next? And I was like, oh, my God. Like. It was so, so super common. These, uh, freelancers are having trouble getting paid. I guess they, they charge, they send an invoice out after they've done the work. And so then they have to like recoup the money. Anyways, Julie, uh, she started this service called, uh, it's com, And what she basically does is she'll get clients to pay you. So I think she started it off with Kurt Elster and she basically, you know, if you have an overdue invoice, tell her, and she'll talk to the client and get her, get him to pay you anyways. And then the last one is the magic email.com. So a lot of what we talked about, uh, emailing people, you know, sending out a cold email. I think that stuff is really, really key, but you'll see maybe 10 or 20 times the results. If you not only send that cold email first, but then also send a follow up email or if, if you send that first email and, a client responds but then they don't get back to you for a while having an email you can follow up with that will it's it's super simple if you go to the dot it's just like a one-line email that you can just send out to anybody and 90 percent of the time i've tried it myself 90 percent of the time you'll get a response
0: almost immediately so those are mine very cool all right well uh no other announcements or news so we'll wrap up the show we'll catch you all next week The bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. To deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com/slash forum.